Good morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be continuing our, si- our series entitled uh, Marching for Missions. And just to give you a quick summary of the past two weeks, the first week when we kick-started uh, the series Marching for Missions, all we did was we defined the mission. And that mission is growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. That is our mission. That, de- that determines if you have a successful day, a successful week, a successful year, or a successful life. If you are growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom, then you, my friend, are successful. Last week, uh, we talked about how none of us are excluded from that mission of growing closer to God and expanding God's kingdom. None of us are excluded. We talked about what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is one who is of Christ or a follower of Christ. And Jesus says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. That means if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, you will be a fisher of men. There are no exclusions, there are no ifs, ands, buts, or whatever. If you are a follower of Christ, you will be a fisher of men. You will be expanding God's kingdom. And, and Paul, Paul further illustrates in 1 Corinthians that uh, we are to plant and water the seeds, but ultimately it's God who provides the growth. That's pretty awesome. Paul, Paul says that we are co-workers with God. That, that's pretty sweet that we are co-workers with God. We have our co-workers at our business or whatever, but your co-worker is God. You are working with God. That's pretty awesome to me that I'm a co-worker with God as he provides the growth, but I'm the one who plants and water the seeds, and you guys are the ones. You guys have the responsibility of planting and watering those seeds, and then God provides the growth. So you are co-workers with God. That is so awesome. And this morning, as we continue to talk about marching for missions, We'll be talking about the power of a convicted mission. The power of a convicted mission. Now to start off, conviction. Conviction uh, just means, according to the dictionary, a firmly held belief or opinion. Basically, conviction means you feel very strong about something or someone. And so we're talking about having a convicted mission. That's talking about feeling so strong about your mission, feeling so strong about it that you must do it. And there's power behind that when you have a convicted mission. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a couple of different examples of the power we have when we have a convicted mission. Howard Hendricks talks about conviction. He says, a belief is something you will argue about, but a conviction is something you're willing to die for. There, there, there's a difference there. Conviction is a deep deeply something you are willing to die for and there's much much power when we have a convicted mission and there's a number of examples of that throughout history the people who have had the greatest impact in this world have not been the smartest people they've not been the wealthiest people they've not been the people with the best education they've not been the people with the best looks rather the people who have had the most impact in this world have been the people who have a convicted mission. A people who feel so strong about something that they will make sure that it happens no matter what. Those are the people who have the strongest impact in the world are the people who have a convicted mission. And we're going to take a look again at a couple of examples this morning. The first one is Martin Luther King Jr. He was a man who had a convicted mission. And I'll I'll ask you to go ahead and play. Uh, We're just going to watch a minute and a half video clip of a speech that Martin Luther King had. Though even though 
be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Very good, yes. Martin Luther King Jr., as many of us know, he lived in a time in the 60s and 50s and such where people of color, they were not treated the same as, as white people. That, that's, that's the sad truth that the people of color, the African Americans, they were discriminated against, people were racist towards them, and people segregated them against their own society. And Martin Luther King, he, he lived in that society, but he had a dream. He had a mission where one day his kids were going to live in a society where they weren't going to be judged by the color of their skin, but where they were going to be judged by the content of their character. And we can see the mission, the, the mission, the convicted mission that Martin Luther King Jr. had. And it's because of that mission, it's because of that convicted mission that now 50 years later, 50 years later, we do not have the same problems as they did in the 50s and 60s. And I love the 50s and 60s, for those of you who don't know me. But they had their problems. They, they were racist and segregated and discriminated the African Americans. It's because of Martin Luther King Jr.'s convicted mission that now 50 years later, we don't live in a society where we have to deal with the discrimination, the racism, and the segregation of African Americans. They, they join us in our culture and our society. And Martin Luther King Jr., he was so convicted. He was so convicted about this mission that he was willing to die for it. And he did die for it in 1968. But again, 50 years later, we now live in a society where African Americans, they have equal opportunity with us. That's not something you could have said 50 years ago. And Martin Luther King Jr., he was one of the main catalysts that brought change to the African-American culture in our society, that brought them equal right. He had power because he had a convicted mission. He had a convicted mission. And there's another example that we're going to be talking about this morning, a historical example of someone, the power that they had because of a convicted mission. And now this man had arguably one of the greatest impacts in all the world, throughout all of history, he had one of the greatest single impacts in the world. And why? It's because he had a convicted mission. This man, though, he did not have a good early childhood. This man, he did poor in school. This man was rejected from college twice. This man constantly fought with his father and his other peers. This man lived in a nation that went into war, and this man was just a messenger. This man was depressed, and some thought he contemplated suicide. This man served over a year in prison. I mean, this man had a lot going against him. If you were to ask someone when he was at the age of 20, and you were to have a poll, and people were to ask, do you guys think this is going to be a man who has a big impact in our society? Nobody would have guessed that you would have had a big impact. Nobody, not one, because he did not have, he did not have life going his way at all. He had so much going against him. But, however, he had a convicted mission, which gave him so much power. I mean, his country was in extreme turmoil at the time, and they were looking for someone to take the lead. And this, this man had a mission for his country. This man wanted to bring the former glory that this country once had, and he wanted to, to bring that, for, that former glory back to his country. He had a convicted mission, a mission he was willing to die for. He felt so strong about this mission, and that is what gave him power. 
This man eventually took, took reign of this country and he led with great conviction behind his mission as his country conquered about half of Europe. And in 1943, 100,000 young men and ladies filled the world's largest stadium at the time, at the World's Olympics, and they're all wearing brown shirts, and the people formed their bodies as a sign for this fanatical man. And the message read, Hitler, we are yours. Hitler, we are yours. Hitler, whether we like it or not, he had so much power. He had so much much power. There was not a single person on this world who wasn't affected by Hitler one way or another. He had so much power. And we ask why? It wasn't because he was smart. He wasn't the smartest. It wasn't because he was well-educated. It wasn't because he had good looks. It wasn't because he, he was wealthy. It's because he had a convicted mission, a mission he was willing to die for, something he felt so strong about, and that gave him power. When his country was looking for someone to take, to take reign and take leadership, Hitler filled that spot. And he had so much power behind his convicted mission. He had so much power because of his convicted mission. And we see this throughout all of history. The people who have the most impact in this world are the people who have had a convicted mission, a belief that they held so firmly that they were willing to die for it. And that is why Adolf Hitler, unfortunately, had so, so much power because of his convicted mission. I mean, he was murdering millions of people, and people were still following him as he had a convicted mission. That is the power of a convicted mission. And in the Bible, we have another example of the power of a convicted mission. And we find this in Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up with us to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And we'll be talking about three guys known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many of you guys might be familiar with these three. Or as on VeggieTales are known as Shadrach and Benny. As, as I was studying for the sermon and doing research... And going on the internet, getting all the content that I could, I came across the VeggieTales episode of Shack Rack and Benny. Uh, um, and I, I clicked on the, the site thinking, I'll watch a minute or two, you know, kind of relive my childhood. Well, 30 minutes later, I finished the episode, all about Shack Rack and Benny. So in uh, Daniel chapter 3, we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, the conviction that they had with their mission, and the power that they had because of it. So we'll start in verse 8, but I'll give you guys a bit of background before then. So this took place in the nation of Babylon. Babylon was the strongest nation of its time, and Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Now Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem, and he took over that city, and he destroyed the temple, and he, he, took, he took a lot of Jewish captives with him, and he took them over to Babylon. And now now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he took these people and he took them back over to Babylon, but he took the upper class and the, and the royal Jews and he gave them jobs. And he provided for them very much. He gave them food, the best food in the world. He gave them drinks. He gave them comfort. And he brainwashed them. He brainwashed them so that they could work for him. I mean, the different nations of its time, they, were, they had special strengths in dealing with their enemies. I mean, the Assyrians... They were, known, they, they were known for being great at skinning people alive. The Persians, they were known for being great at crucifying people. 
And the Babylonians, they're known for being great at brainwashing people and mixing them in their culture. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he took these Jews and brought them into his nation and his country, and he brainwashed them, and, and he mixed them in with their culture. And in this culture, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image of gold, and its height was 90 cubits, or no, 60 cubits, which equates to 90 feet. He, he made an image of gold that was 90 feet tall. I mean, there's b barely a building in downtown Springfield to this day that is eight stories tall, 90 feet tall. But here, nevertheless, King Nebuchadnezzar, he made an image that was 90 feet tall. And he told his people, he told the people of Babylon, including the Jews in his nation, he said, whenever you hear the music, you are to bow down and worship this golden image that I've built, this 90-foot tall, eight-story tall golden image. When you hear the music, you are to bow down and worship this image. Oh yeah, and by the way, if you don't, I cast you into the fiery furnace for you to die. That was the decree, that was the law, that was the command of the time, that they were to bow down and worship this golden image whenever they were to hear the music. And so we, and so we continue the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, and it reads, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jew, Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought so that, so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made, all is well, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So here, here we see again that Nebuchadnezzar, he had this decree that whenever you hear the sound of the music, you are to bow down and worship this golden image. Now, there were a couple tattletales in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, and he tattled, they tattletailed to Nebuchadnezzar and said, Hey, listen, man, there's a couple of Jews who you've appointed that are not worshiping and bowing down to this golden image. And so Nebuchadnezzar was like, All right, I'll, I'll go check on, I'll go check, see what's happening. So he summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, You know, rumor has it that you guys aren't bowing down and worshiping my, my golden image that I set up. What's the deal with that? I mean, if you want to hear the music now and bow down and worship, worship that golden image, all is well, all is well. I'll, I'll forget about it all. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you into that fiery furnace. You hear me, Meshach and Abednego? So you better bow down and worship that golden image. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar, here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing. They are being forced to worship this golden image. But now they were Jews, and this goes totally contrary to what they've been taught all along. They were to give God 
glory in God alone. They were to worship and serve God alone. No other gods, no other images were they supposed to bow down and worship. So this was totally contrary to their mission of worshiping God, giving God the glory that he deserves, growing closer to God, and expanding his kingdom. And so we see their reply in verse uh, 16. It reads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they're presented before the king and forced to worship the, the, the golden image, they said, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not going to worship your golden image, for we are going to serve and worship God and God alone. They directly uh, disobeyed the law of the king, and disobeying that law of the king resulted in death. They felt so strong about their mission, about their mission of giving God the glory and praise that he deserves, that they were willing to die for it. That is a convicted mission. And so then we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reply in verse 19. The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So here, King Nebuchadnezzar, hearing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, we will not bow down and worship your golden image, King Nebuchadnezzar goes, all right, I'm sending you to die in the burning, fiery furnace. But I'm not going to heat it just normal. I'm going to heat it seven times hotter than normal. Seven times hotter than normal when it's already on fire. And so these guards, they, they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the burning fiery furnace that was seven times hotter than normal. And it was so hot and so dangerous that the guards who threw them in, they died from the fire themselves. And so there Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was, they were there to die in the burning fiery furnace that was heated seven times hotter than normal. But now something extraordinary happens here. In, ver in verse 24 we, we read, And then King Nebuchadnezzar was, was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, 
Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. So what we see here is as Nebuchadnezzar throws them into the fire, he, he looks into the furnace, and he sees something extraordinary. He threw three men in there, but he looked in the furnace, and he saw four men. He saw four men, and the fourth had the appearance of like one of the sons of God. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar, he was astonished, and he asked his, his guards and his counselors and such, what, what's the deal with this? And so they brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar then blessed the name of the Most High God, Yahweh. He blessed the name of the Most High God. As he saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were for sure going to die had a miracle not taken place. Nobody would have survived that furnace, that furnace that was heated seven times hotter than not. And when they stepped out of that furnace, they saw that not a hair was singed, that their cloaks weren't burnt at all, that they didn't have the smell of fire at all. At my grandma's house, we would eat uh, Sunday lunches at her house, and she would cook and everything, and they would have the adult table upstairs because there wasn't enough room for everybody. And so for many years, I had to work my way up the ranks and eat at the kids' table downstairs. And uh, downstairs at this kids' table, uh, one of my dear little cousins, Isabella uh, Osborne, uh, I was, she was eating with me and, and a couple of other of our family and friends and cousins, and uh, there was a candle lit in the middle of the table. And she was going to grab a dinner roll, if I remember correctly, and we all loved our dinner rolls, and it was, it was a big deal if you took someone else's dinner roll because you were not to mess with someone else's dinner roll. And so Bella was going to grab her dinner roll, and her hair, her hair hanging down from her head uh, caught on fire from the candle. And her hair was singed. And let me tell you, if you've never smelt burnt hair, it smells awful. <laughs> and so here she was with just a small little candle lit. Her hair was singed and the smell was atrocious. But here Shadok, Meshach, and Abednego were in a furnace that was heated seven times hotter than normal, so hot and dangerous, the guards who threw them in it, their hair wasn't singed, their cloaks weren't burnt, and they didn't have the smell of fire, the smoke of the fire. That was a true miracle. And Nebuchadnezzar identified that as a true miracle. And he blessed the name of God. He blessed the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As we continue in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So here Nebuchadnezzar, he witnessed the miracle that happened. He witnessed the convicted mission that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, that they were willing to die for their mission, their mission to give God the glory and, and worship that he so much deserved. He witnessed that, and he witnessed that they survived without a scratch, without a burn, without whatever, in the burning, fiery furnace. And so the old decree, Nebuchadnezzar's old decree, was that you, when you were to hear the music, you were to bow down and worship this golden image. 
And so Nebuchadnezzar is going this way as he had this command to bow down and worship this golden image. But because of the convicted mission that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had, he took a total 180. He then said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if any of you dare say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, now this probably isn't the greatest idea, but he said, I will tear you limb from limb. A, a, a total 180 that happened. And why? Why do we ask this total 180, the most powerful nation of its time, Babylon, why did this total turn, this dramatic turn of events take place? It's because of the power of the convicted mission that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. History tells us over and over and over and over again that there is so much power behind a convicted mission. There's so much power behind a convicted mission, so much power that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with their convicted mission, they uh, turned King Nebuchadnezzar all the way around, and he started praising and worshiping the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He got away uh, at that time with the worship of his golden image, and he took a total dramatic 180, and we ask why? It's because of the power of the convicted mission of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, there's so much power in a convicted mission. There's so much power when someone or a group of people is committed to a mission. As we talked about in the first week, as we defined our mission, you have a mission. You have a mission, and that mission is to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. That is your mission. That, de- that determines if you are successful or not, if you are growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. That is your mission. We established that in the first week. That is your mission. You have a mission. Now, the thing is, you have to be committed to that mission, You have to have this deep conviction of this mission. You have to be willing to die for this mission, willing to die to grow closer to God and expand his kingdom. You have to have that deep sense of conviction. For history tells us over and over and over and over again that if you have a deep deep convicted mission, there's power behind that. There's power behind a convicted mission. All of this information that we've been talking about missions in the first two weeks and what we'll talk about later in the last two weeks, it's all useless. It's all useless if you do not have conviction for this mission. If you do not feel strong about this mission, it's useless. You might as well go home as I'm wasting your time just blabbing on and on and on and on and on. (laughs) You need to have a convicted mission. You need to feel strong about this mission. It's useless if you don't. Now, the ironic point about conviction is that a lot of people, they have a strong conviction about weak issues like fashion or football or food or cars or games or whatever you can think of. A lot of people have strong convictions about those weak issues. But the unfortunate thing is that so many people have weak convictions about the major issues like the major issue of our mission in life, growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. So many people have a weak conviction when it comes to those major issues, and we need to have a major conviction for our mission in life. A person without conviction or a person with weak conviction is at the mercy of circumstances. 
If you don't determine what is important in your life and how you'll live, let me tell you, the people around you, the society, the culture, the media, they'll determine for you what's important. The leaders above you, they'll, they'll determine what's important for you if you don't make that decision yourself. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That, that's, that's an old cliche that holds so true and holds so much power. If you, don't stand for any, if you don't stand for anything, you'll fall for anything. Or if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. People without conviction often mindlessly followed the crowd. And we saw this in all three examples this morning. The example of Martin Luther King Jr., the example of Hitler, and the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When people don't have a conviction, they mindlessly follow the crowd. We saw that for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, people were discriminating, segregating, and being racist towards the African Americans. Why? Because they didn't have a deep conviction themselves, so they let others determine how they should be treated. Many Nazis blindly followed the crude, crude leadership of Hitler. Why? Because they didn't have a conviction themselves. They didn't have a convicted mission, so they let Hitler determine their mission. Because they didn't have a conviction themselves, people without a conviction blindly follow other leaders and the other media and the, their, their culture around them. The people under Nebuchadnezzar's rule, they were willing and obedient to bow down and worship to that silly little golden image. Why? Because they had no conviction themselves. They didn't feel strong about worshiping God and God alone. So they let Nebuchadnezzar determine how they should act. And we see this over and over and over again in our society today. People seem to lack a sense of conviction. Our society is filled with people like this nowadays where, where they let the celebrities, they let the pop culture, they let the media, they let politics determine how they live their lives. That's ridiculous. I mean, the, these celebrities, these, these uh, media, pop culture, whatever, they're making poor decisions. They have poor leadership. They have crude and evil ideas, and people are following their ideas because they have no conviction themselves. They don't feel strong about anything themselves. And so when, nobody, when someone has no conviction, they blindly follow someone else's lead. And we see that over and over and over and over again in today's age and throughout all of history. And that's the last thing that I want for you guys, I don't want you to blindly follow the lead of someone else because you have a lack of conviction. You need to have a convicted mission. You need to feel strong about the mission that you have, the mission in growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. You need to feel strong about that. History tells us that if you have the conviction behind that mission, if you have that convicted mission, history tells us that you will have an impact in this world. You will have an impact in this world if you have a convicted mission. Your, your coworkers, your friends, your friends at school, your teachers, your principals, uh, your friend groups, whoever it may be, you will have an impact on them if you have a sense of a convicted mission. If you feel strong about the mission that you have, you will have an impact on them. History tells us. History repeats itself. And history tells us that if you have that convicted mission, you will have an impact, which is awesome. You have power. You have capabilities as the son or daughter of God. You have power behind your convicted mission. 
You have power. And so it's my plea to you all together as a church, as God's church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a part of family and God, that we stand strong and we be passionate about the mission that we have. For we certainly have a mission and none of us are excluded from that mission, but we must feel strong about that mission. And I'm telling you, if we together, if we together as a church have a sense of conviction for our mission, then God is gonna make us have an impact on the people around us in our community and our church and those around the world. We need to have a sense of conviction for our mission. You will have so much power if you do. You will have so much impact if you have a convicted mission. For there is power in a convicted mission. Let's pray. Father God, I, just, I thank you for this day. Uh, I thank you for the mission that we have uh, before each and every one of us, the mission to continue to grow closer to you and to continue to expand your kingdom. Father, it's my prayer that uh, we as a church, as your church, that we can come before you with a sense of conviction, come before you with a strong desire and a strong belief in the mission that you set before us so that we can have an impact in this world. Father, I pray that you use us as your church and that we can have a positive impact in this world. And we love you so much. We thank you so much for the beautiful gift of your son, the free gift of eternal life. And please do not let us take that for granted. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.